All right. Last week, we mentioned that Mount Moriah was where uh, Isaac was offered as a sacrifice, and that is where the temple uh, was going to be built by uh, by Solomon. And I thought uh, to bring these uh, stories together at the time of uh, Easter, we would look at a couple things. Uh, one Old Testament picture, and then the New Testament uh, reality. So this morning, and I'm going to embarrass my wife, but this morning I had this picture. This is my favorite picture <laughs> in the world. All right. <laughs> it is on my desk. This is, uh, if you did not know my wife and all you had was this, and my wife walked in, you'd say, oh, that's her, unless she's got an identical twin, which she doesn't. All right. So this would be a very good picture of my wife. However, I don't take this picture everywhere with me. I don't say, hey, honey, you want to go out on a date? And instead of taking her, I put this in the car and strap it in and say, and sit it at the table at the restaurant and say, all right, I'm here with my wife. And everybody looks at me like, you're, you're, you're crazy. Um, so while, and also it would be weird if instead of the picture, I had my wife come to work with me all the time and say, honey, one of these chairs is yours. You can pick anyone you want. And I'm in my office recording this. Um, that would be odd as well. So the picture stands as a reminder to me of a reality that I'm married. That's a picture of her in a wedding dress. Um, and it's also not to be confused with the reality. It's supposed to point toward uh, toward someone. So we have a picture in the Old Testament, and there are a lot of similarities with this picture and the cross, probably more than any other story in the Bible. And so we're going to look at that story tonight in Genesis 22. And in uh, Genesis 22, we have a story of... Story of a father and a son in Genesis 22. This story is about 500 years before the law is given and before the sacrificial system is implemented. But it's also several hundred, uh, if not a couple thousand years after the first sacrifice caused uh, from Adam and Eve's sin. God offered the, the sacri sacrifice um, to cover them. <laughs> so it sounds like if you read through Genesis 12 to 22, and we looked at Genesis 12 last, last week, that there is uh, several times that Moses or Moses, uh, Abraham builds an altar and worships the Lord. And this is going to be an altar like no, no other altar. Um, and so we'll get we'll pick up the story in Genesis 22. And verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, so we know as readers that this is a test. Abraham is not so sure. It, what Abraham knows at this point is all the other nations around him, or several at least that we know of, had human sacrifices, and those were abhorrent to God. And God, who chose Abraham, brought him uh, to this land and is telling him, to, to trust in the Lord, to provide this son. Finally, the son is provided, and God says it's through Isaac that your 
that the blessing of Abraham is going to come. So God is testing Abraham, and this is his test. Abraham, he said, here I am. He's going to say, here I am three times in this passage. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So they are going to the land of Moriah, and you remember the threshing floor where the, the plague is stopped after David's sin in First Chronicles uh, 21, that it is also the land of Moriah. And there is a mountain in this land of Moriah where he is going to offer him as a burnt offering. Now we're just adults here, but a burnt offering was completely consumed. Okay, so it wasn't just he had to kill Isaac, he had to kill him and then he had to completely consume his body. Okay, that's what a burnt offering was. That's why it's called burnt. Um, so a burnt offering, um, and Abraham doesn't, if this was me, I would have had an argument with God. Like, God, no, this, this sounds like pagan stuff. What, what am I doing here? Abraham doesn't. He rises early in the morning, saddles his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. So it took him three days to get there. A lot of time to think. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he is consumed with the thought of, I can't believe I have to do this, but this is exactly what God told me to do. I don't know if Isaac knows exactly at this point if he is uh, what his dad has to do uh, to him. Uh, it doesn't sound like he does because of the question he asked. But the father here is obedient to clear instructions from God. So on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees the place from afar. His heart is probably sinking the closer he gets to this place of sacrifice. Then Abraham says to the young man, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I and the boy will come again to you. Hebrews tells us what Abraham's thinking. And he's thinking, God's going to have me go through this, with this, and he's going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 says, and you can read that. The fascinating part about this is Abraham has no resurrections in his Bible. Yeah, this is pre all re all resurrections in the Bible. This is completely by faith, and Abraham's faith is brought out in Hebrews 11 for us to, uh, to marvel at. And here he says, okay, we're going to go over and worship, and we're going to come again to you. So this, the father is obeying clear instructions from God. Verses 9 and 10, we'll skip uh, down to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, and then binds his son Isaac and lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And then we know God interrupts. So the father is obedient. Here's the picture of a sacrifice. The father was obedient to clear instructions from, from God. Second, the son. The son questions, but is obedient to the father. Genesis, uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. This is a sizable amount of wood. I think of like a wheelbarrow load of wood, probably because the whole top of the altar has to be, and it might be similar to the size of my desk here. The whole top of the uh, altar has to be, out of it, which is probably stones, has to be wood, um, which is fuel for, for the fire. And... Um, Isaac carries the wood up 
and um, he probably Abraham takes the fire and the knife. So they both of them go together. And Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And I didn't mention verse eight, but that's important as well. So the son questions um, and is obedient to the father. Now, I don't know how Abraham broke this to Isaac. We're not told exactly, but he says here that God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide for himself. So usually, and Isaac is probably thinking as he is a possibly a teenager here, that he has seen sacrifices before, and the sacrifices always included a substitute. And the substitute was a lamb. And he asks about the lamb, and his father says, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they both of them go together, and they are apart. They're by themselves when he uh, carries this out. It, uh, Isaac is probably faster than his dad, who's 100 years older than him and uh, willingly submits and probably has to help his dad get him up on the altar um, for this for the sacrifice. God, though, is not intending for actually Abraham to do this. This was a test. And God stops the sacrifice and provides a substitute that they um, that Abraham thought he was going to provide, right? In verse 8. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord, when he is ready to kill his son, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now, it's likely that this ram had been there, and Abraham and Isaac are so focused on what they have to do that they don't see it until this time. And who is relieved that this ram is there? Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> They're both. Oh, oh, that's good. Okay. The knife is not used for Isaac. The knife is used to kill the ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Uh, verse 13 continues, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered up, it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, in the place of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, and Isaac and Abraham never forgot this story. They're all their days. And Abraham lives, or um, Isaac lives to be 180 years old. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, or you may have an older version that says Jehovah Jireh. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So on this particular place, God will provide, and he did. After this, after Abraham and Isaac are humbled, God exalts them in verses 15 to 19, and he again reassures them of the promises that he made to them uh, in chapter 12. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your son. You have not, uh, you obeyed me, and you can read about that. Um, so we're going to, there's a connection uh, from this story uh, into the New Testament, and the last verse we'll look at will be that connection. Let's go to the New Testament now, First John chapter 4. So you remember the father was obedient to clear instructions from God. The son questions, but is obedient to the father. The father, God, stops the sacrifice and provides a substitute. We'll see parallels uh, to this. Um, 
So first John chapter four. God is love. You probably know those verses, but um, there are many verses that we could look at in the New Testament about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, and this is another example, First uh, John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So God proves his love, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. Okay, so God loves the world. He sends his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Everyone knows and can see that God is a loving God. No one can doubt that God loves the world because he did not withhold his son, his only son, whom he loved. Verse 11. Uh, verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's not a better translation than propitiation. Almost every translation have, has this word. And it is a turning away of wrath. So God loves the world. And that he shows his love by sending his son to turn away his wrath from sinners to the son. And it says a propitiation for our sins. Our sins. And we'll see that uh, several times as we look at Christ's sacrifice this Easter uh, season at church uh, through Mark's eyes um, on Sundays. So the Father is obedient here in the New Testament, reality of the sacrifice. The Father is obedient to his own character. What is God like? God is love. If you know God, you know God is love. The only way you know God is because God loves you. That's the only way any of us can even know there is a God is because he loved us and sent his son to bear God's wrath for our sins. So the father is obedient to his own character. Who is, who is God the father going to obey? He's going to obey his character. There's no one higher than God the father. Okay. And we know Romans 5, 8, other passages says God shows his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the father's obedient to his own character as the father Abraham in the Old Testament is obedient to clear instructions from God the father. And his own character here is he's loving. The second is the son questions but is obedient to the father. Uh, let's go to Mark 14. In Mark 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw this on Sunday morning. Uh, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago now. There are two questions that Jesus asks the Father, two petitions. Um, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. Verse 36 of Mark 14. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He questions the Father, but yet is obedient. And then in Mark 15, while he's on the cross, the only thing that Mark records for us while Jesus is on the cross is the um, Psalm 22. 
Ah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, questioning, but obedient. So the father is obedient to his own character. The son questions, but is obedient to the father. And then let's go to Hebrews 9. Uh, Hebrews 9. We get a look at a lot of verses for this. And uh, Hebrews tells us how Christ is better than sacrifices and better than the Old Testament. And in Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28, um, Christ appears to take away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The end of verse 26, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after this, that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So God does not stop this sacrifice, even though the son wants it stopped. God doesn't stop the sacrifice and provide a substitute because Christ is the substitute. Christ knew he was going to be the substitute which is why he came to earth. Like Isaac probably didn't know that he was going to be offered on the on the altar until the last minute. But that's different than what Christ. Christ comes to earth and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you see Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb's book of life, uh, even in Revelation, most of the time references to Christ, he's called the Lamb. For all time, we will remember Christ as the Lamb. He's our substitute. He bears God's wrath for us. Nowhere else in Scripture is a human sacrifice appropriate except for the cross. Now, as Jesus, and you can look at Luke uh, 23, you can look at all the um, examples in, in the Gospels. But let's look at what Jesus said that connects us to this Old Testament story. John 8, and you may have know this story, but you may not have seen the connection before. So John 8, and we'll finish with this verse. Jesus is talking in the book of John to Pharisees, Jewish people. If you look at the end of John 8, there are Jewish people who gather around him and try to question him. They argue with him. And Jesus says um, uh, to them that, um, well, I'll just try to summarize here. Um, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And, and then they talk about Abraham. The Jewish people are arguing with Jesus about Abraham. Verse 53, and they say, are you greater then than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Now here's the connection to Abraham. He says here in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Where does Abraham see Jesus' day? 
it has to be Genesis 22. There's no other place in the Old Testament where Abraham gets a picture of what God is going to do and how he's going to bless all the nations through Abraham's offspring, except through a sacrifice, a sacrifice of a beloved son. And that son was going to come through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, through David. And when David realized it was through him, he is praising God that we saw in First Chronicles 17, that you're going to save humanity through my line. And we see in the New Testament, it was through David's line. It was through, and one of the, one of the gospels that traces Jesus' line goes all the way back to, I think it's Matthew, Abraham. It's Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day, and he saw it, and it was glad. This day of sacrificing Isaac and stopping the sacrifice was the most glorious relief and joy that, that probably Abraham experienced in his life. And he gives God a name, Jehovah Jireh, you'll provide. And he says, talking prophetically, I knew, I, God, you're going to provide on this, on this place. And this is the same place of where Jesus is going to die on the cross, the mountains of Moriah where the temple's going to be, be eventually built a thousand years after Abraham and a thousand years after the temple's built, Jesus is going to come and he's going to die on a cross. And Abraham, and, and it says, Jesus says here, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He knew that the, sub, the sacrifice was going to come. He knew I, for what Abraham knows, he knows he's got covenants uh, attached to his name. He's got a sacrificial system that has begun with him is going to be refined uh, in Moses later, but there they weren't meant to offer sacrifices forever. One day there was going to come a sacrifice that was going to uh, match what, what happens in Genesis 22. It's so parallel. Um, and yet uh, we may, may not see even John 8, 56, of how Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he's clearly talking about himself. He's clearly talking about the Messiah, the substitute. And Jesus prophesies. Uh, and then he says, before Abraham was, I am. I've been there. Um, so the reality of the sacrifice. The Old Testament, that's just a picture. It's just a picture. When we get to heaven... What we have in the New Testament is just a picture of the reality of Jesus. We are told um, by our Savior, like Thomas, to Thomas, blessed are those who don't see me and yet believe. None of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. If you think you had, eh, I doubt, I doubt you've seen <laughs> Jesus. I don't think he comes and talks to you, but we can read him about him this is we can get a, a very accurate picture of him like that is an accurate picture of my wife so that when we get to heaven we're like that's him that's him and what's going to make heaven sweet is not we're not going to be holding on to pictures of him or pictures of people we're going to hold on to the reality of him and that's what's going to make heaven really sweet for all time 